I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Squanderlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Martha Lawton. Today's episode may be a challenging one for some listeners, so I'm getting the warning in early. We're going to be talking about addiction, specifically gambling addiction. And with addiction comes a lot of pain. So we will, amongst other things, be talking about suicide. And if that's a topic you don't want to hear about, or if you're listening around children and feel this is inappropriate for them to hear, please do just skip this one. That said, I think this story is pretty inspiring. I think you will too. So I'm really excited to get on and do this one. Today, we welcome Chris Murphy, darts commentator and communications manager and gambling education facilitator for the charity Sporting Chance. Chris, welcome. Hi, Martha. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm really delighted. I think you have an important story to tell, especially at the moment where in lockdown, I know uh, that gambling has become more of an issue. There, there have been more people with a lot of time on their hands who've ended up uh, perhaps gambling where they wouldn't have previously. So I think this is um, topical. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So can you give your, our listeners a bit more of an introduction to yourself, please? Yeah, so um, as you said, now I'm a darts commentator and work for the Sporting Chance charity, among a few other little things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in terms of gambling, I uh, I started gambling when I was 17. Um, the, the very short story is that I won my first bet, although I'm sure we'll delve into mm. a little bit more that it, it might not be as simple as it seems. <laughs> um, but I won my first bet, uh, which came in at 175 to 1 as a 17-year-old um, and became addicted almost instantly. Um, yeah. I was at college at the time. I ended up getting thrown out of college because I didn't go to the lessons because I just went to the pubs and the bookies and gambled. And it resulted in a, a suicide attempt for me when I was 23 years old after gambling probably every day for six years. Um, and then after that, my sort of road to recovery has been quite a long, bumpy one, which has included a lot of relapses. Um, but as we sit talking today, I'm more than two and a half years gambling free um, and also alcohol free as well, which is a uh, part of my journey that I wasn't probably aware of until a couple of years ago um, so that's a short <laughs> version but I'm sure we can dig more in depth into uh, the places you want to go yeah 
Congratulations on, on you. your two and a half years of sobriety and, and being gambling free. Um, that's quite the achievement. I'd like to hear a bit more about that first kind of gambling experience. I mean, it's quite something to be 17 years old and, and have your first bet come in at such long odds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I only did it really because I was playing football, um, you know, in the men's team by then. Um, not at any great level, just a local village team. But they all used to go into the bookies before the match, before meeting up um, for the match, and just put these bets on. And I'd been in there, you know, several times, probably for a year or so, and not even considered doing it. And then one day I kind of just asked one of them, oh, what is it that you do? And he showed me how to put an accumulator bet on. And then it was um, actually a bit of a joke, really. I, I did the opposite to every team that he did. Right. Um, and they turned out to win um, <laughs> at that, you know, that huge price. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I come from a family that's got sort of an interesting financial background because my um, nan used to work in a betting shop right. and my mum was a bank manager. Um, so sort of opposite ends of the of the scale. Mm. Um, and when I won, I got really sort of strong warnings from both of them. And then obviously having seen the damage that this kind of thing can do to people from her job. And my mum has always been a very much uh, a saver and very sort of economical with money and very smart with money. Um, didn't take many risks or anything like that. So the, the idea of gambling for her wasn't, you know, she, she was a bit worried from the beginning. Mm. Um, and, you know, it turned out that they, they were both right to be. <laughs> but it just went to my head, you know, really quickly. It just, it, as you said, 17-year-old, it was all in cash. Um, yeah. It was kind of before online gambling had really taken hold like it has today. So I went to the bookies, collected the cash. It was only a few hundred pounds, but for a 17-year-old lad had never held that uh, amount of money before. It was just the best thing in the world, you know, the best feeling in the world. And um, sure. one I wanted to recreate and tried and tried and tried yeah. for the next six years. Do you think if you hadn't won that first bet, you might not have gone down that path? Or what do you think might have changed? I think maybe if I didn't win any bet, I might not have gone down <laughs> that path. Um, it may probably would have happened at some point. Mm. Um, I look back, I mean, I've done a lot of therapy and things, and I look back to my childhood and I remember things like when the National Lottery came out, for example, yeah. and I used to write down like six numbers, you know, as a, mm. as a young kid and um, really take my head would go to that I was involved in this National Lottery draw and spend Saturday mentally spending the winnings, you know, as what, a 12, 13-year-old <laughs> boy. And I think, um, so I think it was always, you know, part of my DNA, really, part of my makeup, part of my personality sort of waiting to come out. Right. Um, and not necessarily in gambling, but that's kind of the thing that seemed to serve that, you know, scratch that itch right. the best. But obviously it ended up being really damaging. What happened next? I mean, you know, you, you won that first bet, you started, you got hooked pretty quickly. So how did that progress for you? Yeah, I think... Um, the easiest way to describe it, although it's not entirely accurate, um, right. but the easiest way to describe it is it became a full-time job, really. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I went to, I was at college, as I said, and I was mm. studying for my A-levels. I'd applied for university to go and do a sports journalism degree, which is what I always wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to become a, a commentator, actually. And within weeks... I'd got thrown out of college. It was about two or three weeks before I was due to take the A-levels. And I'd not been to any lessons for about three or four weeks um, because I'd just 
got this amount of money mm-hmm. and carried on going to, to pubs and bookies. So really my, my future was the first thing that I lost and it was that yeah. quickly, you know, like four or five weeks from placing this first bet to ended up being thrown out of college from it. Um, um, and that was one of the worst things that could have happened because when you get thrown out of education, what do you do? You go and find a job. Mm. And what does a job give you? It gives you money. Yep. And all of a sudden I was, you know, getting money every week, yep. an amount of money that I never had. I would go to work. Um, I was uh, working in a warehouse um, and I would go to work Monday to Friday, get paid on a Thursday night. And basically I would go out on the Thursday night, the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday and have no money by the Monday. Right. Um, just drinking and gambling, um, basically. And that was a pattern for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But over the next sort of few years, as, as I moved into 18, um, I remember on my 18th birthday, I didn't have any money to go out. Oops. So I phoned the bank um, for an overdraft. And it was around the time that they were just throwing money at everybody right. um, before the financial crash. I'm not saying that I'm responsible for the crash, but I probably played a small part in it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I got offered a loan, basically, right. an 18-year-old, um, I think, um, about £2,500. Um, yes. And I just saw it as free money because yeah. I didn't really sort of understand, you know. Well, I understood you had to pay it back, but the the addiction in me was telling me, yeah, but you'll win this, so mm. you can just win it and pay it back. And, you know, what a master plan that yeah. will be. Um, so I went down that path then of borrowing of, and it was just a real balancing act. I just felt like some kind of uh, Del Boy type character, just trying to balance the books with gambling all the time. But actually, what I was doing was um, borrowing and getting deeper and deeper into debt, and then having to borrow from places that were higher interest, and then even borrowing from um, loan sharks and things like that towards oh, okay. the end of that period. Um, but while still balancing a fairly normal life, like I had relationships, I had I got better jobs and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a functioning addiction on the surface at that time until it kind of all came crashing down because during that period I would lose those relationships, I would lose those jobs. And um, by the end of that sort of six years, I was just working basically cash in hand Right. work like bar work and window cleaning and things like that right. where I'd literally get paid um at the end of the day would mm. ask my boss for the wage at the end of the day rather than the end of the week right. and go to the bookies and if I lost it I'd be you know at work an hour early hoping to get an extra hour in right. and if I won I might not even turn up the next day because I had right. money to go gambling with right right yes I think when you when you talk about that, and it's obvious in hindsight the the damage that it was doing to you, and I think there are people who maybe just wouldn't really get it. Um, so, can you describe some of the the kind of the feelings that were driving you? I mean, you've already said there was this um, self image of like being a bit of a wheeler dealer kind of Dell boy, almost like a fantasy person that you were trying to be. Yeah, I think um, I think fantasy is actually a good way of describing it. I think that I lived in a dream world. I think everybody has dreams that maybe seem out of reach. You know, dreams of being a millionaire or or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that I've genuinely thought that I'd found a direct route to achieving that kind of dream. Right. Um, and I just because I'd had. Um, 
big wins from time to time. Mm. Uh, I felt the, a reinforcement of that and that that was possible. And, you know, for most of the time, I just carried on really, like, in pursuit. I, I kind of got it in my head that there was some kind of law of averages that if I just carried on relentlessly going down this route, then one day I was going to have, you know, the best day that anyone's ever had gambling. <laughs> and um, right. And all the damage that I'd done didn't matter because I could just pay off the debt and stuff like that. Obviously not taking into account the emotional damage that I'd done, the damage in mm. relationships, um, all those kind of things. I just thought that one big win would would fix everything. Mm. And obviously in hindsight, it's, um, you know, the, the, the analogy I would use is that when you're digging a hole, um, the only way to get out of it is to, to stop digging really. And, and that's really what I was doing mm. um, in reality. But on the in my mind the only way out of the mess that I was causing was through gambling. And it wasn't really until, you know, the, f the few weeks before that suicide attempt that the idea of that not happening even yeah. entered my mind at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I've heard gambling, or particularly the lottery, described as being like a, a tax on hope. And that, that does seem to kind of fit in with what you're talking about. Like, the spend it was because you're a very sort of optimistic and hopeful person in some ways that you were spending that money yeah absolutely I, I'm, I'm a, a dreamer I still am in many ways <laughs> but um I think um that's that's exactly right I also think it is important to understand um in any addiction gambling alcohol other drugs uh, whatever it might be what positive thing that is giving you mm. um and so for me hope certainly was one of them mm. um and you know a life without hope is a difficult life mm. isn't it um i also think escapism um but then when you dig down into it you think if you're seeking escapism in something then what are you trying to escape from and i think one of my um personality traits i think i call it dreaming now i think it was probably even stronger than that it was almost magical thinking um in my in my gambling days and and, and i kind of realized now that i didn't really know where i fit in in the world particularly after losing that college place and not going mm. on to university to do what i thought i was going to do so for those six years in particular i had no direction kind of n no hope other than in gambling mm -hmm. and I think it was giving me an escape from a life that I didn't really feel connected to um, and when I think about it like that then I can kind of totally understand why it would be attractive to me and why I wanted to because who wouldn't want connection mm -hmm. you know escapism hope um, or love almost because it was the only place that I kind of felt I belonged so right. you know, who wouldn't want all those things yeah I can imagine if you're um, if your relationships are falling apart and you're having difficulty in in other areas of your life, um, then I assume there was some social aspect as well to the gambling where you would spend time with other people who were also gambling and um, and yeah, there was some a place to be in that. Yeah, I mean there there was, but also it was a strange one because you would you would think you were doing that because you would go out, for example, if I went to the pub, I would go out to the pub with all my friends, um, very social, hated being at home, didn't like where I lived, um, had to be you know, out and doing something all the time. Usually that was gambling. Um, but I'd be the one in the corner on the fruit machine mm -hmm. um, for hours and hours and hours. So even though I felt like I was a very social character, actually, in a way, I was isolated in the crowd. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. 
let's talk about what um, what caused the change. You you reached a low point, so tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, the day that it happened, um, it was 2010. As I said, I'd been gambling for five or six years, almost every day, getting into more and more debt, and I'd you know had work opportunities and things like that that had all sort of fallen apart, and um, I, it just started to become apparent to me. I just started to question whether this was actually going to happen because I was just like it gone from you know always being able to get money hmm. to like sometimes literally having to go looking down the back of the sofa for 20 pence to put like a horse racing accumulator bet on that day just so that I had a bit of action and let's get the sort of blood pumping for that day and to have that little bit of hope yeah um so that's that happened I should just mention here as well that I had a couple of times um sought help before but mm. this was in the past it had been down to somebody else kind of me doing it to please somebody else or in the early stages literally my mum taking me driving me to a gambler's anonymous meeting and sitting in the car until I'd finished so I never really did it willingly mm. before um but but this time it was um yeah I just kind of knew that um it was coming to an end that it wasn't going to happen and the day that I um the day that I attempted to die by suicide all my friends, ironically, had gone to the races, um, <laughs> and I hadn't gone because um, by then everybody was kind of aware of my problem, so I hadn't been invited right. out of love, you know, mm. totally out of love, but I'd not been invited to the races. And I sat there, and it kind of, maybe that in itself made me think, like, what are you doing, you know, you, you're losing out on things because of this. Um, the thought of stopping you know, was too much. This thing had become dependent on this thing, just like someone who um, becomes dependent on a substance. You know, it was, I needed it to, to breathe, really. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I sat down and I made a list of not all of my debts, but just the most pressing debts are ones that I really needed to pay off, particularly the debts to people, so to friends, to um, loan sharks, things like that. Um, I, I rightly or wrongly knew that with financial institutions I had a little bit more leeway mm. um, and could hide a bit more I suppose um, but I wrote all the the list down and then I looked at how much money I had available which wasn't an awful lot and I just made a decision in that moment and I said to myself right I'm going to take the ultimate gamble here I'm going to either win this amount mm-hmm. pay off these things and that probably wouldn't have been a good route because it would have just allowed me to carry on gambling yeah. Um but the other the alternative was that I was going to kill myself. Um, and I went that day with the money that I had. Um, and usually, as I said before, usually it would fluctuate quite a bit. I'd go up and down. But this yeah. day I just could not hit a single winning bet um, on the machines, on the races, whatever it was. And the money just disappeared, I think, within less than half an hour. Wow. Um, and I just almost felt like... Um, again, with my sort of magical thinking, I've always had like a spiritual element to... Um, the way that I think, um, not really in a religious way, but some sort of um, yearning for there to be some kind of greater power, I suppose. Mm. And I kind of took it as, well, this is like the higher power telling you that you should die because you've just lost straight away and that, that's it. You're doing the right thing by um, by ending your life. And the thoughts that were going through in my head were, um, and I know that a lot of people... In the past, there's been a stigma about suicide as being a selfish act. Um, but having been in that situation and had those thoughts, 
I can honestly say that all of my thoughts were for other people and a genuine belief that their life would be better if I wasn't around anymore. Um, and that's how I felt. My mum wouldn't have to worry anymore. My friends wouldn't have to, you know, go through the dilemma of whether or not it was right to lend me money um, and all those kind of things. And, yeah, I just got into that that frame of mind. Um, I knew that one of the friends I shared a house with took sleeping pills. Right. So I, um, I, I wrote a suicide note and I put it in my bedside drawer because I didn't want it to be visible. I wanted people to find it when it was too late, I right. suppose. Um, and then I went up to his room, opened his bedside drawer and all these sort of tablets were loose in his bed. So I just grabbed loads of them. Um, I then went to the fridge and for whatever reason grabbed a, a beer and uh, a cake and right. I walked up to the to the mirrors near where I lived and it was kind of some sort of last year and I'm going to enjoy this last moment and then take these pills um, and I did take the pills and um, nothing really happened so I was just sort of, sort of wandering around a little bit mm-hmm. and um, the sort of crux of it is that I'd taken the wrong pills um so my, my Sorry, friends I, I shouldn't laugh but I guess... no well I, I I do now because it's you know one of those um, maybe there is a higher being and maybe that was what was meant to happen because um his sleeping pills were in the next drawer down the one oh, that hadn't opened right and these were actually just hair fever tablets oh, no. got like yeah and I don't know why they were all loose and not in packets and things like that but um yeah, they, these were hair fever tablets, so I tried to overdose on hair fever tablets. And, um, you know, it's a it's a light side of a sad story, and yeah. one of the things is I get really bad hair fever now. <laughs> um, so it did, they don't work for preventing <laughs> hair fever. Um, but oh, but when I do get go through that in the summer, it, mm. is, it kind of serves as a little bit of a reminder and, you know, makes me grateful um, instead of sort of being a bit grumpy about sneezing and... Um, all that kind of thing. It just kind of makes me grateful to be alive. Um, so, yeah, that was what happened. And then someone did find the note right? Um, and then alerted my parents. And my parents came and found me um, and they found me sort of just wandering around um, waiting for these things to kick in because obviously at that point I didn't mm. know that they were the wrong tablets. Yeah. Um, and they took me back to their place, my mum and my stepdad. I had a long conversation with my mum mm-hmm. um, and... Basically, I was telling her what had been going on for the last five years, and I just remember the only question she asked, but she asked it probably a hundred times, yeah. was, is there anything else? And yeah. there just kept being something else until it was all out. And the next day, I went to a meeting at a support group and um, spoke to the, the doctor and got some CBT set up and things like that. And that was really the start of my sort of journey into trying to stop gambling and trying to sort of beat the addiction and as I said it hasn't always been a smooth one but that was the the real turning point the sort of rock bottom moment if you like. That's um well I'm so glad uh that you took the wrong tablets I'm I'm so glad to be able to be here and, and talking to you today so um and I'm so glad to hear as well that that your mum was able to um be so supportive in in that moment um we're going to take a little break here and when we come back we'll have a bit more of a chat about your recovery journey quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. We're talking to Chris Murphy, darts commentator and communications manager for the charity Sporting Chance, about recovery from gambling addiction. So uh, you said that your recovery journey hasn't always been a smooth one. Um, tell us a bit about what what's involved in in recovering from a gambling addiction. Um, so initially, when when I first tried to get into recovery, the only thing that was really available was uh, Gambles Anonymous. Uh, that's meetings um, like AF, a fellowship of men and women who have got the same problem and come together to to try and beat it really collectively. And that's group meetings. Obviously, it's not therapy. There are no professionals involved, but it's just mutual support. And the, there is a kind of program of recovery that has been designed by previous members or initially members of Alcoholics Anonymous that designed that 12-step program. And then in terms of sort of professional support around then, I mean, I've had, I'm lucky in the sense that I've had gambling addiction on my medical record since 2010. Right. I've met a lot of people since then whose doctors wouldn't put that on their medical record. Wow. Um, so I'm quite lucky in that sense. However, even though it was logged, um, it was go to Gamblers Anonymous to sort that out right. and we'll give you some pills for depression. Right. Um, right. And, and while I have been through sort of severe bouts of depression, it's usually been linked, uh, or certainly was then, to my addiction mm. um so i kind of felt like in terms of professional support all that was really on offer and i found this with cbt as well right. was coping mechanisms right. you know cut ways to like fix a roof when the when the foundations were crumbling mm. um and more recently i've um well the last two two and a half years um since i've been on this you know the longest run of clean time if you like as yeah. I've ever been I've found different ways so I go to another um, support group it's still the same 12-step program but there are people from different addictions there oh. um, and I also um, I've been seeing a therapist that whole time um, actually two, two different therapists but I've been in therapy that whole time yeah. and um, doing more um, psychotherapy more 
more a look at the root causes and a little bit of, you know, getting to know myself really and getting to understand myself rather than just learning how to deal with triggers and deal yeah. with urges and things like that. And what I've found is that in the last two and a half years um, of prospering really, of thriving, of, of doing that sort of deeper work, I haven't had the triggers and I haven't mm. had the urges. Um, so I think that before that it was a bit of a white knuckle ride um, yeah. and it, and to, to be honest it, I had a lot of relapses and um, I think there were kind of three types of addicts broadly speaking I think that there are the addicts that never really either either don't accept that they've got an addiction so therefore don't seek help or mm. just accept that that's their way of life and carry on so that so the, so the addicts that never get help yeah I think there are addicts that try to get help but struggle and and continue to relapse um but it might be enough to sort of keep them living some kind of quality of life and yeah. then there are, are the addicts that recover and get on and and often really thrive and and prosper in life yeah and i think i um you know i've moved through kind of all three stages now and that stage between 2010 and 2019 was that sort of um struggling um mm. so i would and and often relapse can be worse than when i was gambling all the time because you know i wasn't trying to stop then yeah and yeah. The, the idea of like building things up again you know getting so i said before that i was wanting to do a, a sports journalism course when i was 23 so yeah um not long after the suicide attempt i applied to university i got I got in yeah. and I did that course and I ended up getting a first and you ah, know fantastic. things were really good yeah. um, and then I had a relapse and <sighs> you know you build up life, you build up your financial situation, your relationships, your, your mm. employment prospects, all those kind of things and just always felt that everything was at risk all the time because mm. in the back of my mind it was like when's it going to happen, when yeah. am I going to have that moment of weakness and and relapse and often my relapses were online um, because right. by then um, online gambling had really taken hold and you know the industry had mm. uh, kind of lure people to, to, to bet and I think that um, you know I just never felt safe really even yeah. though I had long periods of abstinence I think the longest was 18 months in that time um, in the back of my mind it was like when am I going to pull this this carpet from under my feet yeah. and everything's going to come crashing down again yeah yeah yeah, I mean, as as somebody who has experienced depression, and kind of like you as well, has has I had a lot of time of being up and down, um, and eventually decided that um, I needed to really go do the deep work and and get a therapist and work with that person until I was in a really sound position. Um, I, you know, I didn't have an addiction, but I do understand that feeling of, of not feeling safe with yourself. I had, you know, uh, some, certainly some self-destructive kind of tendencies. Um, and so I do, I do understand having a kind of underlying fear that you're going to blow your own life up somehow. Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. And, and also to doing the work to getting in and, and, and what you were saying about, really getting in at the root of what's going on, getting in at the foundations and fixing that rather than just looking at coping mechanisms and how do you avoid triggers and that and, that and so on. Um, it's really uh, inspiring to hear that you've done that work and, and being able to 
remove some of the some of the triggers from from yourself. It's really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I think um, as well, it's a combination of for me the therapy mm. and the the meetings and the twelve step philosophy. Philosophy, sorry, it's um, because a lot of the twelve step work I do is individual. It's me sitting down writing, you know, answers to thought provoking questions about myself, my past, yeah. um, my addiction, and the word gambling is very rarely mentioned actually in the program. Right. Um, gambling's almost the well, gambling was my misplaced solution right. to whatever the problem was. Uh, and and actually what I think the therapy and the 12 steps and, and the meetings and everything is about is understanding what the problem was mm. um, and then being able to apply sort of manageable solution mm. rather than looking for it in other things. Um, I also think, you know, you mentioned depression there as well. And um, I recently had a bout of depression and right. it really surprised me um, mm. in a couple of ways. One, that it happened at a time when I was completely free from gambling that I felt for the first time in my life that I would never need to gamble again, maybe not ever even want to gamble again, because in the past I'd always put that down to as a result of a relapse or as a result of my addiction. Right. Um, But it just happened, you know, it came out of the blue, as it does for so many people. Um, But the second thing that I surprised myself with was how I dealt with it, Mm. because um, for me in the past, uh, I used to just run away. Gambling was an example of that. Alcohol was an example of that. But when I got depressed, I would just pull the covers over my head and turn off my phone and not want to speak to anybody. And then that act in itself would make it harder to get out of the depression because I would have lost a job because I'd have gone AWOL officially or whatever. Um, But this time I actually spoke to my employers. I managed to, you know, find the courage to say, you know, at the moment. um, Well, actually, I'll give give some credit to my therapist here because I spoke to her first and I said to her that I'm... uh, I laugh now when I think about what I said. I said, you know, I've got a lot of the symptoms of depression here, but I'm not depressed. <laughs> and, um, and she just said, okay, how does that work? <laughs> and and actually, then I admitted, you know, and, and I think yeah. in addiction, in, in any mental health thing, a lot of denial goes on. A lot of, yeah. you know, we talk about stigma publicly. I think a lot of the time the stigma exists in our own head. Um, and I was like, if I if I ring my boss who might not believe me and right. I work for a mental health charity I think <laughs> this is unlikely that that's going to be the, the route they go down but yeah I managed to actually find the courage to do things properly yeah. and it really accelerated my recovery from that you know it was mm. a week or 10 days before I was sort of doing a, a slow return to work and things when in the past it, it knocked me out for months yeah yeah I, I think that's amazing it's it's so brave to change how you respond to something like that it really does take take some courage and and guts to because there's a vulnerability in it right in Mm. in saying this is what i need um even to as you say a mental health charity (laughs) and i think that's a a vulnerability particularly that that men are discouraged from showing do you think that the sort of masculinity and um kind of male uh, stereotypes and so on have been a factor in how you in in your mental health in in how you've had to deal with these things in the past Uh, definitely definitely and I think only um, sadly a lot of men in particular will only find that level of vulnerability and courage when they go through something you know when they go through something horrific Um, Mm -hmm. maybe get to a point perhaps didn't need to get to mentally if they were able to speak out before and talk about how they feel I think that you know 
in truth, women are leading the way on on this. Um, I think I I watched Brené Brown, mm. um, uh, the Netflix the Netflix thing that she did, and in that she talks about courage and vulnerability being the same thing, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And um and I think that you know, I've come to uh, that really sort of struck a chord with me, and so I think that the difference is that men often see courage as this sort of macho bravery. Mm. Um, when actually true courage is saying, I need help. Yeah. It's, it's the difference between physical risk and emotional risk, isn't it? And yeah. There's a, there's a courage to put your body on the line. And then there's another courage that's about putting your connections with other people on the line. And they, they you feel very different. Um, well, I'm, yeah. I think that's fantastic. We're we're big Brené Brown fans around here as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting that you that you bring her up. Um, so your employer now. I'm assuming you were talking about Sporting Chance. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about them. Yeah, so Sporting Chance were founded um, in the year 2000 by Tony Adams, the ex-Arsenal and England football captain, mm-hmm. um, who had a well-documented struggle with alcoholism. And when he got sober, mm-hmm. um, he basically got a lot of calls from a lot of other sports people asking him how he did it right. and realised that there wasn't much support for people in that industry. Um, for men with addiction and other mental health issues. You know, just leading on from the conversation we've just had, it's a very macho industry mm. where any sort of sign of vulnerability is seen as a sign of weakness. Um, and people sort of very privately going to Tony and asking, you know, how did you get this support? So he, he got um, a team of experts together and set up the Sporting Chance Clinic, which was initially um, a residential facility for sports people struggling with addictive disorders right. and that still exists but actually the majority of the work that the charity do today is um, dealing with other mental health issues such as depression, low mood, um, anxiety, many many other issues and they have a, a huge counselling network so that any professional sports person can phone up Sporting Chance um, and get paired with a counsellor close to where they live um, if they want to you know have support with the mental health issues all confidential mm-hmm. um all funded by the governing bodies of for example the pfa um in football and, and the equivalent in other sports and yeah they were able to just access that support in confidence and obviously the the ones that struggle with addictive disorders are still yeah. able to go and um have some rehab at the, at the clinic where they've got a you know facilities to keep them fit physically and mentally as well which is important for a professional sports person so they can return to their club or to their sport in in the best physical and mental condition yeah that that's that makes a lot of sense yeah you need that specialist facilities yeah i've always thought the pressure on sports people particularly from a very young age to be and often very suddenly to be a role model must be um very challenging yeah i can imagine i think um I mean, there are all sorts of issues that come out these days. And if anyone speaks about an issue publicly, it's almost like they have to be the flag bearer for that, mm. that issue. <laughs> yes. um, and, and what I suppose Sporting Chance provides is, well, you can get help for the issue, but it's up to you whether you want to go out and talk and, and take that responsibility. You know, yeah. you don't have to. So, you know, we see a lot of a lot of sports people. And um, the other part of our 
work as well is education, mm. um, which is going out into sporting organisations, clubs, etc., speaking to the young players about these yeah. issues and maybe helping them to understand where they sit a little bit. So I personally do a lot of the education around gambling, but we have um, stuff, the more general stuff on general mental health and well-being, yeah. um, understanding emotions, you know, talking to groups of men mm. um, about how they feel in certain yeah. situations and getting yeah. them to challenge their own thoughts and, and feelings and yeah. um, to understand themselves um, kind of hopefully in a, in, a, in a way that can prevent somebody going down the same route that I did yeah yeah oh, that that's um that absolutely makes sense yeah we like to try and end these episodes with some uh, advice and, and information for our listeners that they can take away and use and I guess the obvious thing for us to um, go into here is as I said at the top um, lockdown has resulted in a lot more people gambling than previously might have done um, so I was wondering if you have any advice for listeners who are hearing what you have to say and maybe recognising something in their own or other people's behaviour. Um, first of all, I guess, what are the signs of problem gambling? Yeah, it's it's difficult because it is um, unlike alcohol and other drugs, there are not really any or many physical um, signs. Mm. Um, so things like somebody being tired perhaps all the time. Um, obviously that could be a number of other things, but people that um, have got a problem with gambling will often gamble longer than planned. Right. And if they're doing that on the internet, then that might include staying up quite late into the night doing it. Yeah. Um, so irritability, restlessness, all those kind of things. But also if um, you know someone's quite... The financial status is fluctuating. Someone who used to be you know, quite solid is now asking to borrow money or right. um, not able to come out as much anymore because they don't have any money. Or alternatively, all of a sudden seem to have a lot of money because right. they might have had a win. Yeah. Um, so swings in mood as well because often the, the way that a gambler works is that they'll be um, very high on winning and very low on losing. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things as well. And recognising it in yourself is yeah. obviously the hardest the hardest thing to, first of all, identify, but secondly, to admit, mm. um, because obviously you don't want to... And again, speaking about men in particular and, and people in sport, um, the idea of being beaten, you know, we live in a society mm. where it's like you cannot lose, so chasing money sort of plays into that in for a gambler. Yeah. Um, but I just think maybe in the moments of reflection just to ask yourself, you know, a few sort of questions about how long did you intend to gamble, how much money did you intend to spend, mm. um, did you lose control in that situation? Yeah. And um, I think that's kind of a way of identifying it. And then in terms of trying to stop, yes. um, there, there are many things that you can do practically. So yeah. online there are um, some great tools available now. Gamban is an app that can block access to... Um, any form of gambling content on any of your devices um, it's a small fee to get that small subscription fee for a year mm -hmm. definitely worth it um, yeah. I think it's about a tenner for a year compared to yeah. the thousands of pounds of damage that you might do if you're gambling yeah um, GamStop is a, a national self-exclusion scheme uh -huh. which you can sign up to and it will um, self-exclude you for up to five years from all of the UK regulated 
gambling operators online yep. and there are similar schemes in places like casinos um bingo halls um betting shops although probably that one's not as effective because it's not a membership based mm. thing yeah. um but you can self-exclude yourself from from any land-based gambling establishment as well yeah um and i also think that the most important thing is to actually get help yeah. to understand why you're doing this um to understand the environment you know often with addiction turns out that a lot of the time it's not your fault you know a lot yeah. of the time it's it's a mental health condition or um you might have been lured in by tactics from you know the industry yeah particularly people who are gambling online and um mm. so i think just kind of speaking to someone getting help whether that be through a support group a therapist both you know the nhs now have gambling clinics as well um i sit on a an advisory panel a sort of experts by experience panel for the northern gambling service which has got i think three um, clinics in the north of England so all the information for that will be on the um, NHS website as well and, and they've got a really good success rate in treating people with gambling problems so yeah I think that you do all the things possible to uh, to stop and in in the early days if it means you know treating yourself like a bit of a child again and handing over your finances to a partner then that's fine <laughs> yeah. but but I've also met people who've tried to do that as a a way of kind of reco- as a solution as yeah. a sort of silver bullet solution and for me recovering from addiction is about living a normal life or even living your best life and yeah. I think that you need to see sort of progress in those areas so like I'm managing my own finances and things now mm-hmm. and I'm doing it very well and I've sort of for it, I use Monzo for my banking and they've got a gambling block on their on their app so I can block gambling there as well so there's loads of ways that you can help yeah. there's not one silver bullet but my approach has been to do as much as possible so that I can feel safe and then focus my attention on the things that I actually want to do to live a happy and productive life yeah I think that's 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 fantastic. We'll we'll put the information um, that you've given us there into the show notes and, and links for um, anybody who uh, wants to check those things out. But I really love what you're saying here about how it's not just a journey away from, it's also a journey towards and about building a future that makes you happy, not just um, getting away from gambling. Because in a way, well, you talked about how gambling was an escape and now you're saying you're building a life you don't need to escape from. You're, you're building a life you're happy going towards. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't have I've used that, that um, phrase many times myself. That's exactly what recovery is to me. It's about living a life and building a life that I don't need to escape from anymore, which is probably why I don't get the urges and I'm not triggered in the same ways that I used to be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's very, very important that... Um, you know, you don't just stop. Yeah. Uh, you actually look for a different way to live. That's that's wonderful. That's fantastic, Chris. It's it's been, frankly, a really inspiring conversation. I'm kind of emotional at <laughs> this moment. Um, yeah, it's it's just been wonderful talking to you. Um, if people want to learn more about you, um, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm probably most active on Twitter, so it's. Um, at Chris Murphy 180, the number's 180, it's a darts terminology, so uh-huh. people can find out about um, you know, my recovery journey and pick up some knowledge about darts on the side as well. Awesome. Excellent. Anywhere else? Uh, I think it's the same on Instagram, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more active on Twitter, so that's a, the best place to um, 
engage and uh, if you're interested in little old me then feel free to follow <laughs> fantastic well i think our listeners will will definitely be interested in uh, hearing more from you after today it's been wonderful thank you so much for coming on the show no thank you it's been an absolute pleasure you've been listening to squanderlust the podcast about the emotional side of money with me martha lawton if you've enjoyed the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love one of those nice five-star reviews too. Or you can tell a friend about us, maybe somewhere on social media where we're at Pod. You can also find us at squanderlustpod.com where we put show notes, useful links and ways to support the show. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Alicia Cunningham, Charlie Brandon King and Tom Berry. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.